Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. players are resting today as we get down into the business end of the World Cup. The semi-finals are soon, but we're not resting here today. We've got another World Cup rewind for you. We're going to be taking a look at the golden age, 1970, 1974, 1978 and 1982 World Cup. Here every day on the Sports Social Podcast Network Every morning, bright and breezy, this podcast and on YouTube, of course, as well. We've got what if videos, we've got great games on the YouTube page, on the Patreon. We are well stocked for content. But first, let's get stuck in to today's show. Nineteen seventy, and it was the advent of colour television. So therefore, the nineteen seventy World Cup was the first one to be played fully in colour. It was to be awarded bizarrely, owing to the climate of the country in the summertime, to Mexico, and that was confirmed during the nineteen sixty four FIFA Congress. And it was mainly because of. Argentina's poor economic climate, which was Mexico's um, opposition to the bid, that Mexico ended up winning out. So we have football played at 7,000 feet, football played in over 100 degree Fahrenheit heat, of course. And despite that, the Mexico City Olympic Games two years prior was a, a match between Hungary and Bulgaria to 
European outfits, so perhaps we could have another European winner of the World Cup here in Mexico in 1970. The heat didn't stifle them. Would it stifle anybody else? Well, let's get stuck in. It's it's a World Cup of Bobby Moore and Pele swapping shirts, and they would meet in one of the groups. We had Brazil, England, Romania, and Czechoslovakia in Group 2. Brazil, let's not forget, they weren't coming off one great World Cup. It was 1966 and they were out of the group stages. And here they didn't have great preparation either. Jao Saldana, the manager, was replaced three months out by former player, former winger, who was so pivotal in 1958 and 1962, Mario Zagallo. Tostau was only just back after a crippling eye injury and Pele had famously returned from his World Cup retirement. And the reason for Saldana's replacement, he had publicly queried dropping Pele, so therefore bye-bye. Hansa Gallo is in former teammate of Pele, of course, as well. Joining the litany of star names, we have Jezinho, Rivolino and Jason in the Selesau. Meanwhile, England, they didn't have good preparation either after Bobby Moore's arrest in Colombia. He's, uh, he was pinned for the uh, disappearing of a, a bracelet and was bailed for the tournament and um, quite clearly a, a move to unsettle the England team, the world champions, of course. And uh, a couple of changes into the squad. We have now Alan Mullery and Manchester City were doing the business in the league. They'd won the league a couple of years back and their probably best performing pair, Francis Lee and Colin ben Bell, were both in the squad. And we have a group, really, that's quite cut and dry in the end. Brazil versus England, a match that most call the true final, was ultimately decided between who would win the group, Brazil had impressed against Romania and Czechoslovakia. Quite comfortable wins there, and England had limped to 1-0 wins over the pair. And uh, it was a it's a game that's probably been more immortalised in England than it is in Brazil. It's probably more forgotten about in uh, in Brazil, really. Um, you have, of course, Bobby Moore's tackle. You've got Gordon Banks' save, which is still one of the all-time great saves from Pele as well. And um, often forgotten in and amongst is uh, Jairzinho's goal. And um, there we are. England still still playing wingless and uh, perhaps in this contest failed to get crosses in for quite a weak goalkeeper in Felix who was, um, his inadequacies were really physicality and coming for crosses. And England being wingless weren't really putting crosses into the box. It was more long balls and even then failed to capitalise and lost out 1-0. Italy, their hopes were on Luigi Riva, but it was a fractured team. Gianni Rivera and Sandro Mazzola couldn't or wouldn't play with one another, so they had a, a neat little arrangement where one would play one half and one would play the other. And um, it's a wonder they got anywhere, really, in this uh, in this World Cup. And in fact, it was Domingini's goal against Sweden, which was the only goal that Italy scored in this group stage is the only goal where that was involved in a, in an Italy group game as they beat Sweden 1-0. They drew 0-0 with both Uruguay and Israel to top the group. Israel, yes, they had squeaked through by beating South Korea and Australia. Meanwhile, Uruguay were the team following Italy into the uh, quarterfinals, of course, centering their team around a, around a great defence and quite a combative team, as is the... Uh, the style of the Uruguayans. We'll move on now and Soviet Union 
faced hosts Mexico, Belgium, and El Salvador. Mexico, their strongest players were Enrique Boya and Onofre, and the latter broke his leg and unfortunately missed the tournament, whilst Boya was um, bizarrely just not picked for the first match. El Salvador, they had spilled literal blood to be at this championship. It's a short football in war after the uh, qualification matches um, against Honduras, which sparked underlying tensions between the two countries and a brief fortnight war. And um, they unfortunately bowed out at the very first chance. They had, of course, benefited from Mexico qualifying automatically and leaving the CONCACAF region wide open. America didn't have a team capable of qualifying just yet, Canada neither, and uh, therefore El Salvador are here. Belgium, they had the great Raymond Gotals as coach, and they had eliminated some big fish in qualification, Yugoslavia and Spain, and ultimately they could probably feel aggrieved not to go through. Their 1-0 loss against the Soviet Union probably shouldn't have stood with the, uh, the penalty awarded, I mean, it wasn't a penalty. The player tripped himself in winning the penalty and uh, that proved the only goal of the game. A draw would have seen Belgium through. Alas, it is the Soviet Union. It's Mexico, of course, as expected, into the quarterfinals. Joining them would be two of West Germany, Peru, Bulgaria and Morocco. Now we had a West German team that were fully experienced, benefiting from the World Cup final loss of 1966. Franz Beckenbauer, Wolfgang Overat and Uwe Seeler were now fully experienced. Seeler was dropping back into midfield. And you've got, of course, of course, the peerless goalscorer of Gerd Muller. West Germany were quite slow to start, beating Morocco only by two goals to one. But, of course, soon worked their way through the gears. It is worth stating in this World Cup that FIFA finally allowed substitutions. That's two per match. And just like with every other thing um, in football, West Germany were ahead of the curve, utilising the likes of Jürgen Grabowski, who starred from the bench in, in numerous games. He scored the winner against Morocco, for example. Meanwhile, Peru, their hopes were pinned on Teofeo Kubias, and he was... Uh, and they were spurred on by Didi from the bench, of course. And um, they did have to psychologically recover from a devastating pre-tournament earthquake back home and um, might have affected their performance against Bulgaria as they go 2-0 down, but ultimately returned to win that match quite dramatically 3-2. And that really is the difference between who joins West Germany and not. And of course, it is Peru going through to the quarterfinals. Unfortunately, because they finished second, they had to deal with Brazil, of course. Now, Uruguay, incredibly fortunate to be in the... Uh, in the semi-final, and um, they had um, got through with a goal that was, well, it was illegal, let's be honest. The uh, the assist was played out of the pitch, so um, there you go. And um, they would meet Brazil, of course, after they had thrashed Peru 4-2. Battering a very energetic Peru, but um, always going to be favourites for that one. Likewise against Uruguay, the ghosts of 1955, far removed from here. And this was Brazil's chance to... Uh, supersede uh, Uruguay's um, tally of two World Cups and become the first three-time World Cup winner in this tournament. They did have to grind out the 3-1 win. In the other half of the draw, we had Luigi Riva and Gianni Rivera finally coming to the fore. Italy were going absolutely great guns in the uh, the uh, knockout phase. It saved all their goals up. They thrashed Mexico 4-1 and um, played out one of the great games of... Um, 
of the World Cup, beating West Germany 4-3 in uh, quite a stunning extra time period. We have got to Great Games podcast on that episode, on that game, so uh, go and check that out if you feel um, you need to. Of course, to get there, West Germany beat the old enemy, England, in a rep- in a match rematch from uh, 1966. You could attach the blame to Peter Bonetti. You could also attach the blame to... Uh, Alf Ramsey, who made some bizarre substitutions with Bobby Charlton coming off the pitch to allow Franz Beckenbauer to run riot in the midfield. And uh, ultimately, once Charlton was off the pitch, West Germany won out, overturning a two-goal deficit to win 3-2. England, though, they, they, they didn't play great tournament football up until really the, the two goals in the quarterfinal. And... Um, and maybe perhaps in keeping Brazil at bay for large swathes of that match as well. But as we mentioned, Italy and West Germany played out one of the greatest World Cup games ever. Schnellinger saves the match from uh, from an Italian 1-0 win and then six goals were just simply scored in extra time. And uh, the match unfortunately turned on uh, Franz Beckenbauer's dislocated shoulder. He played for a dislocated shoulder, that's right. And of course, we get to the final, and it's Brazil 4, Italy 1. Brazil, the wonderful, beautiful attacking team, Jairzinho, Pele, Rivellino, Tostao. Finally, they got some unity under Mario Zagallo, and that really, alongside the talent, is something that is very different between this Brazil team and this Italy team. They were forced to choose between Matsola and Rivera, of course, didn't play in the same team until the final six minutes of the final, and ultimately that was when this game was wrapped up. Brazil were the heavy favourites and confirmed that quite simply. Carlos Alberto scoring the uh, the greatest team goal ever scored, and Brazil probably stake a claim as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, World Cup teams, international teams, and teams full stop. Would they repeat the feat of Pele, Garincha, Vava, 1958 and 1962 by retaining the trophy? Well, we'll find out after this short break when we cover the 1974 World Cup in West Germany. Welcome back. Are you ready for a format change? Needless as it was, yes, let's go into it. So it's four groups of four. Um, FIFA felt, let's freshen it up somewhat. Let's add more games into the uh, the calendar so the the two winners the two qualifiers from those groups will go into a second group phase two groups of four and whoever wins that group it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Plays in the final. It's, it's um, yeah, it's not good, is it? Um, right, really. Let's uh, let's move on. So there's no Asian qualifier. You've got Haiti in the uh, North American spots as the only uh, representative there. Africa finally returned to the World Cup with Zaire, and Australia took part for the first time. There was no room for England, of course. They were uh, beaten to the tournament by Poland, who had changed from a happy-go-lucky and very fortunate team to get to the World Cup and now we're one of the dark horses 
in the short space of time it took for the uh, World Cup to come around. East Germany were another debutante and they were drawn against, of course, their neighbours and hosts from the West, how serendipitous. And um, this was, of course, the, the World Cup of the incredible East versus West shock. This was the World Cup of Zaire's defender interrupting a free kick to smash it 50 yards. And, uh, yeah, one hell of a, a tournament. Let's get straight into it with the first group, West Germany. They were European champions, of course, but unfortunately had lost the likes of Gunter Netzer, the star of the uh, the European Championships win. Uh, still, of course, had Gerd Muller, who had won the Golden Boot four years prior, won the Golden Boot and won the Euros for them two years prior as well. They were still chartering a course for their peak. Still got the likes of Beckenbauer, Meyer. Beckenbauer now, crucially, has dropped in from midfield and is now a sweeper, and this really has turned West Germany's fortunes around. You've got Bayern Munich right about to start dominating Europe. They'd already racked up that first of three European Cups in a row. And uh, West Germany were just about to follow suit. They would finish second, which in a roundabout sort of way helped them out because uh, because East Germany won because of this cataclysmic win, obviously a uh, uh, politically charged contest. Jürgen Sparwasser scoring the winning goal for the East West Germany would be lumped into the uh, more comfortable second group phase group. So as we mentioned, Poland, they were seen as underdogs when they eliminated England from qualification. They'd lost the likes of Lubanski as well. But within a year, they've got Greg Oslato, the uh, prolific goal scorer. They've got Dana and they've got Godotsha as well. And they were all in superb form in an attacking team. Argentina... They had won in West Germany against West Germany prior to the tournament. So perhaps Dark Horses obviously made making a return after failing to get to the 1970 tournament. But they had since sacked their manager, Sivori. So slightly up in the air there. Same with Italy, who still among the favourites, still had the likes of Riva, Rivera, Mazzola and Dino Zoff. And obviously, stereotypically, Italy, they had, they were coming into the tournament with a, a great defensive record. They'd not conceded for a thousand minutes. And the team that finally ended that streak, the most unlikely of teams, was Heishi, of course. Um, unfortunately, the Caribbean team wouldn't capitalise. They would lose to Italy, lose their other two games, and uh, unfortunately haven't returned to the World Cup. Maybe there is a chance, a small chance, that they can return in 2026. Italy, meanwhile, they were outplayed by Argentina. Riva and Rivera were dropped midway through the tournament, and they'd crash out early. They'd shunned a new style of football, uh, the attacking football of Poland and the total football, the different variations that were being played by the West Germans and the Dutch. Speaking of the Dutch, yes, they were in a group with Sweden, Bulgaria and Uruguay and, well, they were ruling the footballing world. Ajax were dominating club football. Their two main players were Neeskins and Cruyff and former Ajax manager, now Barcelona manager. Rinas Mikkels was in charge. The tactical formula from Ajax bled into the national team, of course, to the point that the goalkeeper, Yang Youngblood, was um, not really a top-level performer, but could play football with his feet. And he was 34 as well, and he was just making his first few matches, or rather, return to the national team. And he was picked, surprisingly, but it was an unremarkable goalkeeper, but just one that fit with the skills necessary for the Dutch to implement the tactics, and that is international football in a nutshell for me. 
And the Dutch only fell in the group against Sweden, drawing nil-nil, and it was their only failure to win the game, win a game in the uh, the first two group phases, really. But even that was um, under underscored with the uh, the magic of the Cruyff turn, bamboozling a Swedish defender, and probably was the the abiding memory of of the Netherlands at the tournament in a game that was probably their worst result until the final, of course. It was um, something that resonated and still does, to be fair. Brazil, they were in a group with Yugoslavia, Scotland and Zaire. Mario Zagallo, the villain of the piece now, the manager. They were without Pele and distinctly lack something. Jason wasn't the same. You've got Tostao out injured. You've got Clodado out injured as well. And their main threat lay with Nilton Santos, Jezino and Rivellino, of course, still there as well. And um, it all came down to whoever would score the most goals against Zaire. And of course, as we begin to embark on quite possibly the most unlucky string of World Cup performances, that would be Scotland by a single goal, as Brazil knew going into their contest with Zaire that they only needed a three-goal win, grabbed it incredibly late on, by the way, and uh, Scotland, despite holding Yugoslavia and Brazil, two very good teams, let's not forget, unfortunately they were out, and uh, we'll we'll see how well they do in the group stages as we move through this um, this episode, as this is really the golden era of Scottish football, which we're working through at the minute, 74, 78 and 82. So we'll go through to the second round now, West Germany's loss meant they... The loss to their neighbours meant that they would avoid the Netherlands in the in the second group phase. And of course, by this point, the Netherlands were well advertised as a great team. Um, ramming home that fact, really, in the in the first game of the second phase, humiliating Argentina 4-0 in probably one of their greater performances. The most important one, though, was a, a 2-0 win over Brazil, which by this point was a proxy semi-final. Whoever won that match won the... Uh, won the, the right to play in the final in uh, in Berlin. And then uh, the Dutch quite simply prevailed in that one as well. In terms of the corresponding group, we had West Germany, we had Sweden, we had Yugoslavia and Poland. Again, their game effectively a semi-final, which just really FIFA just qualify two teams through and let them play semi-finals. It'd be far more, far more entertaining. And despite only one team going through, as we saw with the Euros in 1980, they don't play defensive football. Obviously, the Dutch were never going to do that. Um, there's not a, a fear factor to that, and just especially in two points for a win here, just getting the one point and making do, and maybe snatching something on the last group game or whatever. There's none of that in this in this tournament here. But Gregor Lato does score winning goals against Sweden and Yugoslavia to uh, give them a, an outside chance of beating the host in the semi-final, as it were. Uh, their goal difference, unfortunately, meant that they needed to beat the West Germans. And of course, it was Gerd Muller, not scoring to the uh, same volume as he would in 1970, but still crucial goals, crucial late winner here. And then the final was set. The favourites versus the host, the Netherlands versus West Germany, and the Germans' first Touch of the ball was of Sepmeyer dragging the ball out of the net, of course. Johan Neskin scoring the scoring from the spot. Huge bravery from the only uh, from the only English representation in this um in this tournament, in the final, of course. The referee uh, 
Um, he uh, gave a penalty inside two minutes and uh, Johan Neskin scores from the spot. And perhaps it was post-war sentiment that still bubbled away. Perhaps it was even worse in the Netherlands than it was in uh, in Britain. But they didn't just want to beat West Germany in West Germany, of course. They wanted to humiliate them as well, in Berlin as well. So they then charter a course for just simply passing the ball around and toying with the West Germans. But, of course, they lose a penalty. Paul Breitner slams one in. Gerd Muller scores with... Uh, to put it politely, a striker's goal is quite kind of a scuffed effort into the far corner. And Germany probably probably deservingly on the on the um, on the basis of the entire game won the World Cup. And uh, probably the abiding memory from the final, of course, outside of the goals and the pretty football played by the Dutch and the story going into it, was the fact that even total footballers played the desperate hoof into the box when you're chasing a goal late on in the game. So West Germany had won their second World Cup 20 years on from their first. They moved on to Argentina, as did the Netherlands. The 1978 World Cup, coming after this short break. Welcome back. It's 1978, and in the backdrop of the military coup, the junta, and thousands of missing, thousands of people dead, Argentina hosted the tournament, and with certain political pressure in, there was only ever one outcome here, wasn't there? The Netherlands and Belgium almost stepped into host. Brazil almost stepped into host as well, but regardless, FIFA pressed on. Argentina were going to host the World Cup, and we had a few debutants. We had Iran and we had Tunisia debuting and acquitting themselves actually really quite well. Iran drawing to a su- supposedly superior Scottish team whilst Tunisia were beating Mexico 3-1. But ultimately both failed to qualify. This was a World Cup all about the ticker tape, all about Archie Gemmel, all about a supposed match-fixing 6-0. Match-fixing that still hasn't been proven, but let's be honest, outside of that 6-0 between Argentina and Peru in the second group phase. Some dodgy officiating, nonetheless. It was a tournament, though, without Johan Cruyff due to his own kidnapping fears that he would only admit to decades on. But let's see how this Dutch team would do without him. So we start with Argentina. There was a mass exodus of players to Spain and manager Cesar Luis Minotti would would only choose three Three players that were based outside of the country. So here we have Wolf, we have Piazza, and we have, of course, last but certainly not least, Mario Kempes. They played some fresh attacking football that Minotti's predecessors has lacked. And in the history of Argentine football, they'd gone from fairly Brazilian-like showboating and expressionism to battle-hardened warriors of the 60s, of course, laced with the uh, the suspicion between the European and South American teams. And here, they'd finally returned to something a little bit of a, of a uh, amalgamation of both. They were playing some great attacking football, but could uh, carry themselves quite well. They put Hungary and France in a, an incredibly tough group to the sword quite well. Other team in that group, Italy. Enzo Berzot, he was in. He wanted to bring total football to Italy, or at least just make them less defensive. 
And in and amongst, they had a raft of young players from uh, Cabrini, Rossi and Tardelli, of course, as well. And uh, they would join Argentina, going on to uh, going on to beat Argentina in the group phase. France were the other team, again, a bit like Italy, really, blessed with young stars. Chief amongst was the 21-year-old Michel Platini. And uh, in the opener against... France, against Italy, between France and Italy. France just simply annoyed Italy into uh, scoring very early and then Italy simply won the remainder of the game, which essentially changes the entire entire group and Italy go on to uh, to win the group. France out with a, with a match day three win over Hungary. All was not good in their camp. Players painted the Adidas stripes off their boots. The manager, Heil Dago, was... Uh, Fearful of his own kidnap, and um, they were largely out because Argentina beat them 2-1 because of poor refereeing decisions. Um, referee didn't know whether it was a foul in or outside of the box. Um, it, apparently, it was outside the box. They just guessed, um, erring on the side of the home side because, you know, don't want to be kidnapped or whatever. And, of course, Argentina won via those means. And, um, of course, Mario Kempes, the... The star of the show, the the argument was, was he playing as a centre-forward? Was he playing as a number 10? Many thought he should play as a number 10. Against Italy, he played firmly up front and they lost. Some say he was better off behind the front three and certainly he would play there in that position, his favourite position for the final, but more on that one later and the argentina italy game was the the first occasion where argentina were gi- given a stern referee in abraham klein and they lost so maybe that is a little bit of a coincidence but regardless mario kempes goals dredged them through poland in the next phase of course we're still in that pesky two group phase format which we would remain in for the remainder of this t- this episode anyway and um they were through and um, not even, and because of Brazil's 3-1 win over Poland, it meant that Argentina needed a four-goal win over Peru. And seeing the scoreline, yes, it does seem very uh, serendipitous, doesn't it? Um, Peru weren't a bad team. They'd proven that at the, the 1970 World Cup and um, had eliminated a, a decent team in, uh, in Scotland to uh, get so far. But having, if you watch the match back, the full match is available on um, on YouTube. Peru do get off to a great start. I mean, there are there are um, eyewitness accounts of a shady character spotted in the tunnel, not happy with uh, with Peru being so good in the first half. But Argentina probably, on the basis of the game, merited it. Um, Peru did play like they weren't throwing a game and. Um, I don't think there is too much shock around an Argentina 6, Peru 0 uh, win, but that being the case, I'd, I wouldn't be incredibly shocked if it came out afterwards um, that uh, Argentina bought that game and bought the World Cup. Essentially, there was very unsurprising lax refereeing in their fixtures, but we'll uh, we'll see if the Netherlands could... Uh, could show them any uh, resistance. They had some huge names still in the squad. Ari Hahn, Johan Neskins, Rob Rensenbrink as well. Ernst Happel was now the manager. Unfortunately, we're not up to scratch really in the first group phase and um, lost that iconic game to Scotland 3-2. And um, 
Came out of the traps, though, in the second phase. Thrashing Austria 5-1, beating a youthful but fading Italy to the final 2-1. And um, they had booked their place alongside Argentina. But we'll uh, we'll take a bit of a detour before we do get to that final. We've got the likes of Scotland. Ali McLeod was the manager. They had bumped Wales off in qualification quite controversially as the referee gave a penalty to Scotland. But despite the fact that the handball, the hand that the ball struck, was Joe Jordan's. And Scotland had pipped the European champions Czechoslovakia to go through to the World Cup as well. They had a fantastic team. Rioch, Gemmel, Sunis, Makari, Hartford. Despite a young Andy Gray not being selected, ultimately the World Cup was an embarrassment. Scotland seen as one of the dark horses. Uh, one of the This was probably their best chance at going all the way. But unfortunately, Teofio Kubias tore them a new one. They beat Scotland 3-1. And surprisingly, McLeod didn't pick Graham Sunis. Still, they could have beaten Iran and gone through, but they failed to win. Drew and left it down to the final day, needing a three-goal win against the Dutch. Still reeling really from Willie Johnston's uh, positive drugs test, but Scotland gave the Netherlands a good go. Archie Gemmell's goal, of course, of legendary status now, but because they couldn't find a fourth to make it 4-1, and because Johnny Rep just slammed one in from 35 yards into the top corner, Scotland were unfortunately out at the group stage again. So we move on to the likes of West Germany. For the first time since 1962, they were without the likes of Franz Beckenbauer over at Seeler as well. You've not got Gerd Muller in there. No Jürgen Grabowski who changed so many games in the uh, in the early 70s. They had experimented with a 4-4-2 but didn't really work against Poland in an opening nil-nil draw. They wouldn't take top spot in the first group despite a 6-0 thrashing of Mexico because Tunisia had held them very well to a draw and they'd beat Mexico as well. So unfortunate that Tunisia wouldn't go through. In terms of West Germany, the, the strike partnership, the, the successes to Gerd Muller in Klaus Fischer and Dieter Muller weren't particularly lucid up front together and, um, and it showed really. In terms of Poland, they were without Godotia and they lacked a little bit of something, although Boniek um, attempted to fill the void a little. Um, they still had enough defensive resolve to hold off the likes of West Germany and Tunisia and go through to the next phase, also at the expense of, uh, of Mexico as well. In the final group, we had Brazil, Austria, Spain and Sweden. Brazil were in charge Claudio Coutinho was the new manager with an emphasis on fitness and hardness and Europeanness. And uh, we have the likes of Rivellino, Zico, Reinaldo, and they end up tiptoeing into the next round, not playing Brazilian football. This is the first of uh, many instances of a philosophical change by the Brazilians between dour European hard football and the football that comes more naturally to them, more Brazilian football, one that they have won their World Cups with the philosophy of. Um, ultimately, the, their World Cup was really probably most memorable for um, Clive Thomas blowing the full-time whistle as a corner comes into the box against Sweden. But that that essentially tells the whole story for Brazil. They were um, blunt against Spain in a match that they probably should have lost and they barely beat Austria, but still they were through to the second group phase, but obviously that, like in 1974, would be their 
point of elimination. So we get to the final, and Argentina's gamesmanship is uh, <laughs> immediately apparent. They arrive to the field late, allowing the Dutch to stand in the middle of the pitch in what was a cauldron atmosphere for about five minutes, allowing them to soak up the vitriol. And then they demanded that Renny van der Kerkhoff uh, removed his bandage that he had worn on his hand all tournament and uh, kicked up a huge fuss about that. And um, essentially, the game, it, it sort of hinged on the fact that there was no special creator in midfield. Johan Neskins wasn't up to up to scratch. Mario Kempes was probably the closest thing, um, and that that is essentially why they ended up winning despite, of course, despite Rob Rensenbrick's 90th minute shot hitting the post. And uh, in terms of what-if moments, that is, um, is certainly right up there, isn't it? With that goal, it would have been 2-1 to the Dutch. They would have their World Cup, but... Without it, Argentina move into the extra time period, score two goals, and if we're honest with ourselves, and several Dutch players have come out since, for the safety of everyone, it's probably might be a good thing that uh, Argentina won 3-1. And they would go into 1982's World Cup in Spain with a certain new wonder kid and perhaps an attempt to retain their trophy, as Brazil had done all those years ago. We'll join you after this short break. Welcome back. It's 1982. Jao Havelange has won the FIFA presidency largely off his harebrained idea, expand the World Cup. And in, in fairness, really, it probably comes at the, at the correct time. Now we go from 16 teams to 24. Six groups of four, so that is that's fairly self-explanatory. That's how continental tournaments work in Asia, Africa, Europe, right now. Whether or not their expansion is a bit too premature is is a, is a different conversation. In terms of the World Cup, there were certainly twenty-four very good teams. At least there was um, a good dozen that um, were. Could be contenders, wouldn't be a shock if they won the thing. And these always, or always seem to be, a, a very large team missing out. So in 1970, Argentina, of course, 74 and 78. It was England. In 1982, despite this expansion, the Netherlands weren't here. And um, unfortunately, the format um, was, it was typical FIFA stuff. Uh, so as I said, six groups of four, then four groups of three, and then semi-finals... So the, the, the at least semi-finals have returned, but um, second group phases, they love a good second group phase, or did at least, anyway. And to be fair, the uh, the venues came into question as well. It was quite weighted. So the, the second group stage games were played in Madrid and Barcelona. The semi-finals played in Barcelona and Seville. So whoever played in those Barcelona groups were given quite a decent advantage. And uh, you will be stunned to hear that those who played in Barcelona ended up winning the tournament, but more on that one later. So Spain, they hosted, and uh, the draw was uh, fairly memorable. It was a calamity, really. The drum with all the balls in getting stuck, the balls breaking, and almost there wasn't any British interest in there as there was whispers of the three representatives, Northern Ireland, Scotland, and England, pulling out because of the Falklands War, which had uh, rumbled on in the background there, 
prior to the tournament. In terms of debutants, well, we had a whole raft of them. Al Algeria, Cameroon, Honduras, Kuwait, New Zealand, football finally being opened out to the world. None of those, unfortunately, made it through the first stage, but you could argue that one was certainly robbed in Algeria, and Cameroon did very well in the opening group. This is the World Cup of the disgrace of Hihon, is the World Cup with the slow starters of Italy, the World Cup of Paolo Rossi. El Salvador were here again in the backdrop of their civil war, and they were record-breaking for all the wrong reasons. We have the fastest England goal at a World Cup we had in the same group, Q8 threatening to pull their plug on their match with France. We've got the World Cup of Norman Whiteside and Northern Ireland stunning the host. We've got the World Cup of Scotland doing their best to outdo their prior group eliminations of the 70s. But let's start with Italy. In the first group, the perennial slow starters in quite possibly their worst ever start, really. Ultimately, they would go through without winning a game, going through on goals scored. And on the basis of play, just on the three games, the first three games, Cameroon probably belonged, belonged in the next phase instead. Um, Italy, they were boosted with the fact that Paolo Rossi's ban was reduced down to two games and he was allowed to play in the tournament, but he was looking every bit the player who had just three Serie A games in two years to his name. Not match fit just yet, of course, that might change later on. Um, they'd not changed quite a young, mildly successful team and the, probably one of the only additions of, uh, of note was Bruno Conte, who would be... Uh, a huge figure for Roma and Italy around this time. Meanwhile, Brazil, they had the team of the tournament. Well, at least in midfield, they have got a magical, magical midfield. One of the best ever. Zico, Socrates, Falcao, Eder. But unfortunately, they were missing something in defence, certainly. Maybe outside of Junior, who was a fantastic fullback. They were, though, they were missing a... Goal scoring centre forward. Kareka was injured, unfortunately, and Serginio was often used as a scapegoat. Now, of course, Brazil, they were under the management of Tele Santana and they had moved away from the Coutinho Europeanness of the of the later 70s. We were now back playing Brazilian football, and my God, did they absolutely annihilate the likes of the Soviet Union, Scotland, and New Zealand, as well as Argentina. And Argentina had picked Diego Maradona. Maradona felt aggrieved that he wasn't at the 1978 World Cup on home soil like Pele was when he was Maradona's age in 1978-17, that is. Monotti was still in charge of the nation. Kempes was unfortunately lumped out into left wing and ultimately wasn't suited to it. And um, it was a group for Argentina that was, was really, the headlines were taken by Hungary's 10-1 win over El Salvador there. The biggest World Cup win ever still remains to this day. And um, Maradona was kind of kicked out of the game in the, uh, the second group phase. And um, Maradona was ending his first World Cup in ignominy with a, with a red card. Of course, Italy finally came to the fore in their fourth match against Argentina. Marco Tardelli key to that success. Rossi still not scoring despite Italy's 2-1 win over Argentina, but then we had what was a de facto quarterfinal, Italy versus Brazil. Brazil only needed a draw because of their goal difference, because of their win over Argentina. 
And what we got was quite simply one of the greatest games in World Cup football ever. And we had Paolo Rossi dominating, scoring a hat-trick. And of course, we've got the peerless almost Zico, who was uh, running the show, Socrates too as well, who's got a fantastic goal with a give and go, the first goal there. But this match belonged to Paolo Rossi. They would go through to the semi-final and they would meet Poland. Poland, they still had Boniek, Gregor Zlato was now in midfield. And they too, like Italy, started incredibly slowly, but finally found their way through some gears in a 5-1 thrashing of Peru. They've got the likes of uh, Smolarek in form. And because of uh, getting through that group, they had the simplest of second group phases, Soviet Union and Belgium. When you consider the likes of England drawing Spain and West Germany and Italy, Brazil and Argentina's group, to draw that was um, quite, quite fortunate as well. And um, they needed a point versus the Soviet Union to go through. And fortunately, we're coming against a, t- a team where the manager and their best player, Oleg Blokin, they didn't see eye to eye. And uh, Poland got that and more and went through into the semi-finals. Belgium, the, the, uh, the odd one out and missing out entirely. They'd qualified at the expense of the Netherlands and had beaten Argentina to open up the tournament. Erwin Vandenberg's goal was uh, the first goal in a World Cup opening game in 20 years, if you can believe. So 1966, 1970, 74, 78, not a single goal in a World Cup opener, which is kind of understandable because it's the very first game in a World Cup. First match days are always a bit tense and a bit nervy anyway. And um, there we are, Erwin van der Berg's goal. It was somewhat of a shock, uh, but they would lose to both Poland and the Soviet Union. And um, they would miss their star man, Goretz, who was um, injured in the first group phase and unfortunately bowed out. They would have to come back another day. We'll see them on another rewind soon, I'm sure. So let's we may as well discuss England, aren't we? Ron Greenwood, he took over Don Revy, who, and to be fair, England, after missing the 1974 and 78 World Cups, benefited hugely from the expansion to six, from 16 teams. You've got star players in Trevi, Trevor Brookin and Kevin Keegan, amongst their most dangerous, but they both suffered from injuries. Kevin Keegan went for a secret surgery mid-tournament and, and neither played until the final game against Spain. And aside from a... a Firing out of the blocks against France in the very first, very first group phase match. Brian Robson, of course, going down to injury as well. Despite that, England's best football came in the final game, and it was a game where they needed a two-goal win over Spain and didn't get it. It was two nil-nil draws for England, and of course, the perpetual problem was or would be going forward. Glenn Hoddle, neither Ron Greenwood or his successor Bobby Robson. Couldn't really fit him into the team despite him being one of the more talented players of his generation. The same would be true of Paul Scholes of a different generation, of course. Meanwhile, it was West Germany going through. Paul Breitner was back. Hansi Muller was supposed to be the grand successor to Gerd Muller. And of course, West Germany were European champions because of course they were. They had a slew of names, Horst Rubrecht, Lipbarski, Rumenig. They were all 
dangerous, all up front, all attacking, front foot players. Bernd Schuster, though, was their main man and he was out injured, unfortunately, and so too Karl-Heinz Rummenigge's injury hampered him as well. They were embarrassed quite rightly by an Algeria side who uh, were expected to just roll over, get thrashed and go out with three defeats, really. Unfortunately for those of that persuasion, Algeria stunned the world by by beating by beating uh, West Germany. And unfortunately, West Germany and Austria had to manufacture a 1-0. Uh, the disgrace of Ehon happened and uh, as a result, the World Cup and any other FIFA-endorsed tournament, their group games would never be played separately again until 2026 when we get the three-team group phases. So that might, may throw up some controversy again. Regardless, Spain, they disappointed as hosts. Juanito and Zamora were both poor. They couldn't beat Honduras. They failed spectacularly against Northern Ireland and struggled to beat Yugoslavia. They only managed really a draw against Honduras as their increasingly desperate tumbles for penalties were given and then their winning penalty against Yugoslavia was given despite being outside of the box. So perhaps this wasn't a Argentina 1978 problem. Perhaps this was just a FIFA bowing to the hosts in this era problem. Preferential treatment, maybe. And in another second group phase, we had France, Austria, Northern Ireland, of course, France, making it safely out of that one. France following England out of the groups despite their quirky game against Carlos Alberto's Q8, the Kuwaiti uh, prince. He had uh, ordered them off the field, but then the ref bowed to them and disallowed the France goal, and uh, the match resumed. We had, a, we had a Michel Platini banging form. We had Trezor, Gires, Tiganar, Rocheteur, Le Carre Magique, they called it an imperious lineup that they would only improve upon in the coming years with the European Championship in 1984 on home soil. Northern Ireland, well, in this group phase, they were managed by former player Billy Bingham, of course, who was uh, part of the squad in 1958. Now he was the manager, doing some incredible things, beating Spain. Norman Whiteside became the youngest World Cup goal scorer, still is as well, and um, had quite a decent team. To McElroy O'Neill Armstrong, but France unfortunately too strong for the Green and White Army in the second group phase. And um, we go to the knockouts Poland versus Italy, West Germany versus France. Two very, very different games. Poland's race was run in the semi final before it really got going. Boniek was suspended and it uh, largely told uh, Paula Rossi scores goals four and five of the tournament in what could possibly be one of the more serene semi-final wins. Italy faced uh, suspensions of their own, but Giuseppe Bergami was uh, quite a good replacement for Claudio Gentile, and uh, as we know, Bergami would then go on to have um, quite the career for Italy. And if that semi-final was comfortable for the Italians, the other one was crazy. Just let's put it that way. West Germany was struggling with injuries, but... They played France and they always beat France and always, always will do besides a certain uh, European Championship semi-final in 2016. Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, he was, of course, one of those blighted by injury. He would only come into the fray in extra time. But by then, Harold Schumacher had legitimately nearly killed 
French substitute for Patrick Battistont. And no yellow card, no red card, no free kick. Nothing was given. Schumacher went unpunished, which would tell into the final story of the... Uh, the game, and when uh, when Rummenigge came on, France were three one up. But he, alongside Klaus Fischer, brought that back to three three. France almost had a chance to win it, but uh, Manuel Amaros hit the bar, and it was penalty shootouts, the first in World Cup history. So, of course, West Germany win it. Harold Schumacher being the hero there. The neutrals by that point were. After the disgrace of Hihon, after Schumacher versus Battistont, the neutrals were firmly in the camp of the Italians, and um, Italy had a chance to go in front, but missed a, missed a penalty through Cabrini. But in the end, it was one of the more comfortable World Cup final wins. Rossi, Tardelli, Altabelli, they all score before West Germany could make a dent, and... Um, Again, it's it's a West German team who, had, who lacked bite up front. The Hubrich wasn't allowed to make an impact. Fisher and Muller, Dieter Muller, that is Hansi Muller, rather, didn't. And uh, as I mentioned, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge wasn't fit. Brought off after the second goal, and he was supposed to be their star striker. So that says it all. Playing through the pain, and of course, this is the World Cup final of Marco Tardelli's iconic celebration, the the World Cup final, which confirmed. Paolo Rossi's golden boot, golden ball, and the fact that Italy were now joining Brazil as uh, as three-time champions. Would it be beaten? Would it be matched? Well, we're going to find out tomorrow. We've got another rewind for you. Yes, the semi-finals are tomorrow, but there is no football to cover, so we will uh, we'll go and uh, rewind back to 1986 and Mexico to Italia 90 and to America in 1994. The day after, we'll begin our semi-final coverage, and in and amongst the semi-finals, the third-place playoff, the final, will be sneaking in our last few rewinds for you as well. Thank you very much for listening, and until tomorrow, silly, up the three lions. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.